0: Focus on Headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have Han and Che jehe Welcome back to the studio, guys. Good evening. Good evening. All right, guys, we're going to start things off with some uh, news related to the economy, a uh, issue that I'm sure many Koreans uh, have been, of course, uh, keeping a close eye on. Housing prices in Korea, Uh, they have been showing signs of stabilizing in recent months, although a lot of people who've basically took out massive loans in hopes to uh, buy what they thought was the cheapest price at the time, they are seeing a dip in some of the prices. But nevertheless, I mean, we've seen prices of these homes uh, soar to great extent uh, over the past couple of years. Uh, But the declared value of homes nationwide, uh, this is going to be raised yet again to post a double-digit increase For the second consecutive year, Uh, first and foremost, uh, it might be a little bit confusing for some of our overseas listeners. So, Talon, can you explain us to, uh, to us what this means?
1: Sure. So, what we need to know here is that although the housing prices appear to be stabilizing, with prices clearly dropping in some regions, it won't be reflected in this year's declared value of homes. Housing prices in Korea skyrocketed, especially during the past two to three years, and this has put Pushed up the declared value of homes to the highest level in 15 years last year, increasing by over 19%. This marked the highest level since 2007, when the value rose by over 22%. And according to the Ministry of Land, Infrastructure and Transport, today the declared value of homes will rise by over 17% this year, continuing the double digit growth. If you remember the value, Hovered around just about four percent to five percent between 2017 and 2020, so it's certainly a big jump. Yeah. the country decla- the country's declared value of homes averaged 192 million won nationwide, with Seoul leading with an average of 443 million won, followed by Gyeonggi Province with 281 million won, Taegu with 191 million, and Busan with 166 million won. By growth. Incheon and Gyeonggi province saw the biggest jump, with Incheon posting a near 30 percent jump, followed by Gyeonggi province with a little over 23 percent. This, of course, means that the housing prices also saw the biggest jump in those two areas. Seoul posted a 14 percent increase in the declared value, while Sejong city was the only area among Korea's 17 cities and provinces where the value saw a minus growth of around 4.6 percent. Now, this declared value of homes that we call in Korean is important because it affects the level of real estate taxes and other insurance fees as well. Chihee will explain to you in detail in our next story. But to ease the tax burden on single home owners, something that I've been stressing for a very long time <laughs> lower property taxes for single home owners, right? The government will calculate property and comprehensive real estate taxes for this year based on the declared value of their single homes last year.
0: Yeah, basically, it's a little bit complicated because you have the declared value of the homes and Mm -hmm. then you have what people say is the value of your home based on the recent sales of a similar apartment. So there is a bit of a a price difference in this, but when they tax you for the home that you own, uh, they base it on the declared value of homes, uh, which also impacts a number of other things that we'll probably talk about as well. But, uh, chi amid the skyrocketing home prices, again, in the recent Mm -hmm. years, we've been talking about this for a few years, Now, the South Korean government did say that it plans to ease the tax burdens on owners. So let's hear the details of this.
2: Sure. So there have been mounted public complaints regarding the Moon Jae-in administration's real estate policy. Of course, as skyrocketing home prices drove up tax burdens on homeowners and raised costs for people who seek to rent or even buy homes. Uh, as a response to this, the government announced this morning measures meant to prevent the owners of one home from additionally shouldering the burden of paying real estate-related taxes. Uh, and at a meeting on the housing policy, Finance Minister Hong nam uh, said the government plans to let the owners of one home pay similar amounts of property holding taxes to those of last year for a temporary basis. Now, one home owners age 60 and older uh, will also be allowed to postpone the payment of the so-called comprehensive real estate taxes. And the latest measures come as the country's state assessed price value, or uh, as town Ta- 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 has explained in detail, the declared, declared value for homes has sharply increased along with soaring housing prices. And uh, so, in South Korea, as Thailand has explained, the government taxes land and homes based on their annual assessment value uh, instead of the actual market value. And according to the government ministries, the government is expected to freeze property tax for the entire homeowner, including owners of one expensive home with an officially appraised value of over 1.1 billion won, which is about $905,000, uh, subject to the comprehensive real estate tax. Now, the measure is part of President-elect Yun Seok-yeol's pledge on the real estate market policy revisions and it is believed that Yoon's win by a thin margin was underpinned greatly by his pledge on real estate as there was public fury over the housing prices doubling under the Moon administration uh, due to failed government policies.
0: That's right. I mean, it was uh, scores of different uh, real estate measures put in place. I believe uh, 26 was the actual number. And of course, uh, you know, it was their attempt to try to quell the rising uh, real estate prices. But uh, one of the things that really irked, I think, also ultimately impacted the uh, the recent election was the fact that many of the single home owners, which, by the way, we even with single homes, their tax burden was, just too much. And, uh, you know, Tan, you talked about this. We were talking about this as just single home owners and the burden uh, mm-hmm. it's caused us. And so uh, it does seem like they're going to try to, uh, they're going to be freezing uh, the rates at this time. But I'm just thankful that it's based on the, the, the assessed value and not the market value, because again, there is a bit of a difference there. Uh, but also, after a bit of delay, the presidential office nominating the IMF official, Yi uh, Chang Yong, as the new chief of uh, Korea's uh, central bank. Tan, first and foremost, uh, who is Yi Chang? And uh, what are the implications of this nomination?
1: Lee Chang-yong is the director of the Asia and Pacific Department at the International Monetary Fund, who became the first South Korean to clinch such high-ranking post at the Global Financial mm-hmm. Watchdog. He's known for his ample international experience from contributing to South Korea's successful hosting of the G20 Summit to serving as the chief economist at the Asian Development Bank for three years since 2011 before moving to the IMF in 2014. Now, here in the country, he previously worked as an economics professor at Seoul National University uh, and uh, as a chief of the Financial Services Commission. He has quite an impressive resume too, you know he graduated Seoul National University Korea's most prestigious university receiving an award for the school's highest GPA upon graduation. He then earned a doctoral degree of economics at Harvard University and served as an assistant professor at Rochester University as well very fancy names we can see and he's also known for his close connection with high profile economic affiliates Maintaining close relationship with Lawrence Summers, former U.S. Treasury Secretary, as well as Olivier Blanchard, former chief economist at the IMF. And noting that he has knowledge of both theory and policy implementation in the domestic and international economies, as well as in monetary policy, President Moon Jae-in has nominated him to replace BOK Governor Lee yeol according to a senior secretary for public communication, Park soo hyun at the top office. Lee yeols term ends at the end of this month after taking charge of Korea's monetary policy for the past eight years. You know, actually, I looked up um on 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 a on a major portal site mm-hmm. to check his term whether his term was really from twenty fourteen. And there was this little picture that they posted on the on the on the web portal and he looked so much younger back then. You know in twenty fourteen. Think, like-
0: think about it, the B O K chief <laughs> that position is not an easy job.
1: Especially with the outbreak of the pandemic, yeah, yeah. right? So, Pak Suyan also expressed hope that Yi yong will contribute to stabilizing prices and financial markets through efficient monetary policy that accommodates domestic and external financial factors.
0: All right. So, with this nomination, though, will President Moon and, of course, uh, President like Yoon Sagar be able to get together anytime soon? I mean, that's the big question, right?
1: Right. The presidential office also said President Moon has accepted president-elect Jun song opinion when making the nomination. But on the contrary, Yun's chief of staff, Chang jae refuted that there was no negotiation nor recommendation from Yun's side. He told the press that when a uh, top presidential aide asked him about naming Lee chang as the next BOK chief, all he said was, well, he's a nice person. And that was it. Tang uh, Jieon says there were no further discussions or negotiating procedures. As you know, a meeting between President Moon and, and Yun, President-elect Yoon were called off as they locked horns over a couple of issues, and of them included the nomination of the next BOK chief, but other key issues like the nomination of the chair of the Board of Audit and Inspection and the relocation of the top office to Yongsan remain unresolved. So it's still murky whether the two will be able to hold a meeting soon.
0: Yeah, again, I mean, because there are so many issues at hand that, uh, you know, the two sides really need to discuss in the transition period, in the short-term Transition period. We don't have a whole lot left right now. And I think it is important that the two do uh, sit down, make discussions here. Uh, but staying with uh, President elect Yoon Seok-yeol, he's called on a draft uh, to draft a second extra budget bill for the COVID 19 relief fund. And this is something Yoon has been calling for since his election campaign. So, Ji-hee, tell us more about this.
2: Sure. So, speaking to his transition committee's special branch on COVID 19, President elect Yoon Seok-yeol said the government must come up with ways to compensate for the hard hardship that small businesses had to face uh, due to the strict quarantine measures that have been implemented and called for an extra budget bill for COVID-19 relief as part of this support effort. Now, since his election campaign, Uh Yoon had insisted on an extra budget worth more than $40 billion, and he pledged as a presidential candidate during the campaign that he will get this amount passed if he takes office. Now, regarding the matter, the head of the Democratic Party of Korea's emergency committee expressed earlier in the day that the party is willing to talk with the People Power Party to prepare to pass this extra budget bill together. And An Chersu, uh, the chairman of Yun's transition committee and also the head for the special branch for COVID-19 response explained that the details of this extra budget are still in discussion. Uh, he also added that what should come before passing the extra budget bill is an accurate calculation of the actual losses of the small businesses so that the compensation can actually uh, be provided accordingly. Also, many small business owners are facing concerns regarding loan payment deadlines, which is due this month. And on set to address this imminent concern, uh, Yoon's team will speak with financial institutions as soon as possible, Uh, that's within this week, to see if the deadlines can be further extended. And also explained that the uh, compensations for the small businesses will be provided in different forms, including cash payments, loans and tax waivers uh, to minimize the impact on the country's economy, including a possibility of stagflation.
0: All right, uh, let's uh, shift our focus now to some COVID-19 related issues here. Just taking a look at the numbers, uh, we were hoping that maybe we'll start seeing a dip in cases. Uh, Nearly 500,000 new infections today. But by the way, uh, we've now reached uh, past 10 million uh, total infections since the outbreak of the pandemic. It's been uh, almost 800 days, guys, believe it or not, uh, Mm -hmm. since we first uh, reported our first infections here. But... The figure that came in earlier this morning, it is the second largest figure since the onset of the pandemic as well. So big questions on whether or not there is going to be uh, the peak has come or not. Nevertheless, let's get the latest updates on this.
1: Well, now, like you said, S.J., our population is 50 million and and the the cumulative toll is now over 10 million. So one in five South Koreans or 20 percent of the entire population have been infected with COVID. And daily COVID tallies continue to hover around record-breaking levels. According to the KDCA, over 14 million new cases were reported. Uh, wait, 14 million new cases? Well, F- 500,000 500, yeah. new cases were reported, spiking by over 130,000 from the previous day. It's a jump by over 90,000 from a week ago. Authorities say some countries have seen infections drop after hitting the 20% mark of population, but it's too early. To call if we've passed the peak yet. They say we will be able to make a more accurate projection after seeing this week's developments. Number of hospital admissions and deaths continued its upward trend amidst surging infections, with 291 deaths reported and over 1,080 people being hospitalized. The majority of the patients who passed away overnight were 80 years and older, and the fatality rate stands at 0.1% one three percent hospital bed occupancy rate is around 64 percent on average nationwide currently over 1.8 million are being treated at home
0: i mean uh, you know you look at 10 million uh total infections it's over 10 million now but uh you know it, it's a huge number but if you put that into again the perspective one in five south koreans mm-hmm. haven't been infected uh, unfortunately, myself being a part of that statistic. See, there's
1: three of us here in the studio, and two oh, of us yeah. have been infected already. Yeah, right?
0: exactly. I mean, yesterday was just one out of three, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just getting ridiculous. And you know, Tom, Tal, we we're talking about this uh, right before the show. It just seems like everyone around us is getting infected with mm-hmm. COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. and uh, really just uh, it's it's spiraling out of control. We're hoping the peak is coming soon, but again, with the skyrocketing number of daily COVID nineteen mm-hmm. cases, I mean, the country's healthcare system, right? It is still manageable, uh, but it is struggling with healthcare workers uh, shouldering a significant burden uh, in providing service to the ever-increasing number of patients, Xi.
2: Yeah, so uh, like you said, uh, the t- total caseload has surpassed 10 million as of today, which means five, one out of five people in the country have been infected, and many are now starting to say that the Omicron variant, which is causing the surge in numbers right now, is like seasonal flu that we must overcome. Uh, however, with cluster infections at care centers and health facilities, there is a shortage of healthcare workers, and only several are left with all the burden, even expressing signs of burnout. Uh, what's worse is that although we're seeing daily COVID-19 related deaths in the 300s and 400s, many young people have become complacent, and there's a prevalent idea that it's better to be infected now than later. Yeah. Uh, some are even saying that since strict self- quarantining is not possible anymore uh, because of all the changes in the system it seems unne- unnecessary uh, with the self of the self quarantine measure now universities that have canceled all their school related festivals uh, that are usually held during spring uh, for the past two years are now slowly starting to resume all these events and also since being infected once makes you naturally immune to the virus there are are communities of people insisting on holding a large group of part, like a group party, with those infected and fully treated, uh, and the idea of the so-called super immunity has even led to cafes and restaurants hiring part-time workers who have already been contracted COVID-19. Now, while a new sentiment and culture are growing in some parts of society, like this, adapting to living with Corona. Uh, People are trying to adapt with the living with Corona system and the other half, however, is suffering, like I said earlier. So according to a staff from a university hospital, uh, although health workers are implementing measures to lessen the burden on them, such as reducing the number of self-quarantine days from seven to five, uh, the emergency care systems are still facing hardship. And the non-COVID-19 patients and emergency patients such as pregnant women who need immediate care have to wait at hospitals due to their overload. And amid the surge in the number of infections among healthcare workers, some hospitals even suggest people not get tested for the virus. Now, many complaints from health workers can be also seen on online communities, where many of them say they're suffering from an unbearable workload, and they're receiving criticisms from patients and families uh, who blame the healthcare workers for the infection percentage has grown among them
0: when I was young uh, there was a party that was going on that I wasn't invited to uh, it was a chicken pox party and so basically <sighs> what it is is you have to get chicken po- everyone kind of back then I, we, do we have vaccines for chicken pox now? I think we have that now yeah we back, do yeah. back then we just had to kind of go through chicken pox right, right? It was something- I went through it I you can see it
1: on my nose I still have the scars do you oh. have to, I forget
0: where my scar is um, but it's something that maybe she, she's young so like she had the vaccine But probably uh, got
1: vaccinated really right I <laughs> guess <laughs> <To solve laughs>
0: and I, we lived in an era where you just right. had to go through chicken pox. And so, it's a
1: miracle we survived through the 80s, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and There was a thing called chicken pox party, but I got chicken pox at a very young age. Mm. And so, you know, I wasn't invited to my third grade chicken pox party because one kid had chicken pox. And all the parents decided they're going to have, quote unquote, chicken pox party where all the kids that never got chicken pox got together, get sick and get it over with very quickly. Oh, my mm. God. This now, is shocking.
1: I've never, ever heard about such a story in my life. Yeah, it's,
0: it's an actual thing that happens in the United States now because it's not chickenpox is not something that's like dangerous right, uh-huh. right? um it, it's it's itchy and it's uncomfortable but you have to go through it because they say that if you have chickenpox later on as an adult then it can get very dangerous mm. uh so we get over but this is coronavirus guys this is COVID-19 where people can actually die I think this is ridiculous mm. um you know, we talk about it being possibly a seasonal flu. Town. You went. Have you had a flu before?
1: Of course, yeah.
0: How do you compare the flu and the uh, the COVID nineteen that you had?
1: Uh, I think the flu was way worse. Yeah. yeah, I had a fever like of over forty degrees <gasps> Celsius.
2: Whoa, that's really yeah. high. I,
0: I was lucky. Mine was less than a, a cold. Uh, was the symptoms that I went through but I was like lucky because some of the people that I, I've you know talked to when it comes to getting the covid it, it was pretty bad they said it mm-hmm. was uh, some people were saying that it was worse than the flu and so forth but we see how people are kind of quote unquote adopting with this uh, COVID nineteen virus right now, the way that they're reacting or how they're kind of planning things out here. Mm-hmm. Is this the right path moving forward? Here is what I want to ask you guys, uh, Tana. I want to ask you, especially because you know you've gone through it yourself.
1: Right, you know, uh, you know the there is a public. Uh, rising public opinion that it should be treated and managed like a common flu, because, I mean, come on, already one in five people have been infected anyway. And uh, it is true that people are uh, becoming more complacent. And uh, although the experts are raising a red flag against that, quite frankly, uh, it is true that the majority of the people who get the Omicron they only suffer mild symptoms. And even if they do suffer from some severe headaches or a fever, like myself, we still don't end up in hospitals, right? Yeah. The majority of the people uh, only suffer symptoms that do not require hospital admissions. So I think, I think it's. Uh, Now it's about time that we can begin to review declaring COVID as an endemic and treating it like a common flu. I'm not saying uh, the measure should be implemented right away, but I think uh, now we can start, begin to review declaring COVID as an endemic and treat it like a common flu. But I must say this. Uh, We have to, before we begin the review, we have to thoroughly address two major issues. One is how to tackle uh, coming up with countermeasures against the rising death toll among the elderly, especially aged 80 and older. Some of the ways that I thought of is perhaps, you know. Uh, boosting and reimposing the strict antivirus restrictions at nursing homes and nursing facilities. Another one is prohibiting those uh, senior citizens from entering high-risk areas. These are just some of the, the very rough ideas that I have in mind. Uh, and so we there has to be some some very effective and efficient countermeasures against the rising death toll uh, of among the among senior citizens. And another thing is the possible breakdown of career. Uh, is Medical Medical system. system Because, you know, there is a two week interval between the number of uh, new daily new infections and the number of hospital admissions and deaths, right? And the numbers, the number of new infections have just begun hitting the highest level, right? We don't know if it's going to be the highest level yet, but uh, it's just been about two days that we started to see uh, the number of daily infections hit the 500,000 level. So we will have to, we, we don't know how much, how explosively uh, the numbers of hospital admissions and deaths will rise from uh, in two weeks from now. Yeah, because, the, yeah. go ahead. The number of uh, um, critically ill patients are hovering around the 1,000 range now, which is at manageable levels. But we never know how uh, how much uh, higher the number will rise in the coming weeks. So we will have to uh, devise countermeasures against that as well before we begin to review easing restrictions and declaring COVID as an endemic.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, we have no idea how you know how much how how high the number is going to go because. You know, a lot of the uh, doctors were saying that some of the health officials were saying that we might have really already reached a peak or about to reach the peak. But now there's another game changer in the stealth Omicron, the stealth variant. right? With higher
1: transmissibility, right? yeah, Yeah, exactly.
0: So they're saying that, you know, us trying to reach that peak, it's going to be prolonged and we might have to wait more. But you're right. One of the things that I did mention was I think that, you know, measures being relaxed, I think right now it's inevitable. You have to go through that. But leave strict measures in place for those who are in the high-risk age group because that's the big concern mm-hmm. right now. The majority of the, the fatalities are coming from those uh, who are in the older uh, age group. But the question I want to, you know, us treating this like... Uh, a common flu. A common flu or like, a, you know, we use the word endemic. Patrick Pierzer, who's our, of course, a longtime listener here on our program, raised this issue. He said, how can you call it an endemic when you have long covid as another yeah. issue that we need to start tackling. And this is, mm. I think this is one of those things that we don't talk often mm-hmm. about. It's like once we're done with COVID and we've got COVID and we've been treated, that's it. But there's a lot of people who are experiencing long COVID. Right. Um, I know people, a lot of our colleagues who have been fully treated but they're still coughing. Mm-hmm. Um they say they're they're you know tired all throughout Um, There's other people who've gone through other symptoms as well, and there seems to be a long COVID. So that's the other aspect of things that I think we need to be concerned about. Uh, But uh, for you, Chihi, what about yourself? Uh, What do you think about, I guess, uh, how people are treating this current situation at this time?
2: Well, I just want to add one more point regarding long COVID. Um, I also heard it's not just the coughing and uh, feeling fatigue all the time, but they also experience some cognitive issues as well, although Mm. mild, Mm. Uh, for example, forgetting things That are really simple or not really easily forgettable, or showing different performances academically, for example. And some people really do experience these. And studies, recent studies, uh, did show that they do have effects on our brains as well. Right. But although it's just for um, a small number of people, it is still affecting them. And anyway, uh, regarding whether this should be treated like a seasonal, like seasonal flu or not, I think uh, it shouldn't be declared a seasonal flu yet, although I understand and agree that those symptoms are, are a lot milder. Uh, We shouldn't really declare it to be seasonal flu, uh, partly because many of the young people, they're becoming too lax and complacent. And they're, like I said, they're thinking of having parties with those who've been infected and even just having other people who haven't been affected to make them infected anyway, because they think sometime in the future, they anyway have to get infected once. Uh, This kind of a mindset, I don't think we should have. We should refrain from those kind of building in our society and uh, also Uh, I think the government should really check the peak before easing all the measures, although they have already started easing the measures. It's it's already too late, but I don't think they should further ease the current measures yet. Mm. Uh, I mean, I've said this before, too. The U.K. and France, other countries, they've started easing measures uh, after checking the peak. But what we've seen is uh, we've eased the measures uh, ahead of the presidential elections, and now we're just seeing surges week by week. So uh, that's also something we should consider, not further easing the quarantine measures. And also, uh, there are people, we refer to them as the shy Omicron patients. These are people who are feeling uh, symptoms of COVID-19, but they're not getting tested. They're refusing Mm. to get tested, Mm. and they're just shying away from it, thinking that just one person will make a difference. But that kind of mindset is also something that we should refrain from. And I also want to mention uh, recently, well, it was just hours earlier, uh, the Korean government uh, received emergency approval for the Monupir tablet for Merck's uh, Lageviro. Yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? Those COVID-19 pills need to change their names because it's 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 really hard to pronounce. pronounce. Anyway, so, I mean, they've procured more pills, these antiviral pills that we've been, uh, we didn't have enough of. And I hope that uh, the healthcare system, although the occupancy rate for the beds are a little over 60%, they're going to near 100% if we keep seeing these serious cases and the number of deaths. So we really should uh, do something about the healthcare system as well.
0: You know, you are talking about the COVID-19 pills. I have a little bit of a problem with the pills at this time Mm -hmm. right now, because it's great that we have these pills, we have these drugs in place, but the problem with these pills is you have to take it within a certain period of time after you've been infected, mm-hmm. right? Now with the Omicron uh, variant, I didn't know I was infected. Right. Okay, I, you know, my wife was showing symptoms uh, you know, long before I have. There was a very good chance that I probably got it earlier, days, and I don't know, days before I was tested positive. And so in that case, If my symptoms got very severe, and I needed the medication. I would have already surpassed the window period and when I could be mm. taking the, the the medicine. And but again, there's going to be a lot of you know a lot other uh, pills that are going to be uh, developed moving forward. Here, uh, Patrick Pierzer chimed in on our live YouTube saying the problem with Omicron isn't that it causes uh, in most cases mild infections. In these cases, the immune system creates no antibodies or just a few, so no long term immunity. Now, according to some of the doctors that I talked to, what they were saying is at this time. If you've gotten the Omicron variant, there is a very good chance that you won't get reinfected with Omicron, is what they're saying.
1: At least for the for ninety days, is what they yes, said, at right? least. Mm-hmm. Now
0: they're saying the other thing that they need to be careful. And, and if, you know, there's been people who go like, I've gotten coronavirus already. Boom, I'm gonna start partying, wear my you know, throw away my mask, and so. The problem is, there could also be new variants that could pop up, yeah. and uh, and there's very uh, it's not enough studies, I think, to show that if indeed we have you know super immunity and so forth. So I think we still need to be uh, a little bit more cautious with this. Uh, enough with COVID nineteen <laughs> for now. Let's move on to other issues. Uh, North Korean diplomacy this time. President-elect Yoon transition committee has made clear that the Unification Ministry will not be abolished, and instead just carry out a reform to enhance its roles. Uh, Tan, what's this about?
1: You know, Yoon Song-yeol did mention about abolishing the Ministry of Gender Equality and Family, but he never mentioned about scrapping the Unification Ministry. But the main opposition, People Power Party, had previously raised the need to abolish the Unification Ministry, saying it's not playing the roles it should be. And so quite a lot of attention was drawn to Yoon's decision about the ministry. And today, Yoon's transition committee made clear that there will be no abolishment of the Unification Ministry ministry just a reshuffle to further enhance its roles and tasks. One day he, chief deputy spokesperson of the transition team, said uh, during a press briefing today that the transition team will look into detailed measures to restore the proper function of the unification ministry, saying that uh, the committee has doubts about whether the ministry has fulfilled its basic responsibilities of promoting inter-Korean exchange and cooperation and providing humanitarian assistance to North Korea. He also said the incoming government wants to uh, deploy apart from the approach of the current administration under which the presidential office has taken the lead on inter-Korean issues and the unification ministry has executed its plans. The announcement came after the team was briefed by the Defense Acquisition Program Administration on ways to beef up military capabilities, focusing on the three-pillar system of kill chain, preemptive strike missile, uh, preemptive strike, missile defense, and massive punishment and retaliation plan. This three-pronged defense system is Yoon's core strategy to deter North Korea threats.
0: Something that was also met with some criticism uh, by the opposition. But uh, President-elect Yoon se and Defense Minister soh have some disagreement over North Korea's quote-unquote uh, violation of the military agreement that, uh, you know, of course, the two Koreas had signed a couple of years ago. Uh, the issue was raised because North fired multiple shots uh, from a rocket launcher towards the West Coast on Sunday. So, she ch- ch- tell us about this.
2: Sure. So, North Korea fired multiple rocket launchers on Sunday. And to be exact, there were four shots that were fired yep. into the Western waters uh, during a pan of an hour from 7.20 a.m. from an unspecified location in South. South Pyeongan Province. Now, as you've mentioned, the two Koreas had signed a military agreement on September 19, 2018, uh, to prevent military con- confrontation on the Korean Peninsula. So by, by signing this agreement, uh, South and North Korea agreed to stop all hostile activities that could provoke military tensions. And as part of the agreement, buffer zones near the northern limit line at sea and the military demarcation line on land have been created. And all live fire Fire, out, artillery drills and major maneuvers are prohibited within these zones. Now, the disagreement regarding the North's uh, recent firing comes between President-elect Yoon seok and Defense Minister Huh, as they have different views on whether North Korea's action on Sunday is to be viewed as a violation of this agreement. Now, President-elect Yoon said Tuesday in a meeting with his transition team that the act is a clear violation of the military agreement, and he also. Also said the move was North Korea's 11th show of force this year. Uh, Meanwhile, at a parliamentary meeting held on the same day, South Korean Defense Minister Sook said the North's recent firing was not a violation of the military pact because it did not fall within the buffer zone. Uh, The minister said the shots were fired far north of the maritime buffer zone and thus could not be seen as a violation of the agreement. Now, according to one expert, however, uh, although the individual shots didn't fall within the buffer zones, uh, a part of the agreement states all gun ports within these zones must be closed to prevent hostile acts. However, the North still has them open, which is a clear violation of the agreement. Uh, As North Korea has ignored the agreement multiple times now, the pact no longer seems valid, which is why Yoon had earlier said he might consider discarding the deal when he becomes president.
0: It is going to be interesting once the uh, Yoon administration takes office. And uh, we know for sure that North Korea is going to test a new administration with, again, a number of provocations moving forward. But uh, how big of a provocation is it going to be is uh, the big concerning question here. Uh, Guys, unfortunately, it is all the time that we have for now. But as always, thank you very much for your reports and your insights on some of these issues. Please, guys, stay safe, no COVID parties, uh, and we'll see you guys again.
1: See you. Again. Thank you. See you again.
0: You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.adidangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.